Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Psycho Games get, tend to bring all the boys to the yard. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh my. Uh. Oh, wow. Sorry, I've broken the family-friendly fourth wall here. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Shoot the core, cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the RF Generation Shmup Club. This is a family-friendly shmup-themed podcast that isn't about guns or birds, but we're definitely about gun birds. I'm Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups, and with me as always, I have... Metal Frill, also known as Game Boy Guru. And if you'd like to connect with us, please follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can also follow me directly at Game Boy Guru. Check out linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast so you can find all of our podcast feeds and uh, a link to our shop where you can buy t-shirts. Also join rfgeneration.com. It is free to sign up and uh, come join us for a shmup club playthrough. We would love to have you on board and have you participate alongside us so that you can be involved in the conversation and, uh, you know, maybe have us share some of your thoughts on the podcast here. Also, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your preferred platform. Uh, and at the uh, front page of rfgeneration.com is a link to our Discord, where we've got a dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic, where you can discuss the games, post your score screenshots or photos, and uh, just talk about shmups in general. Also, make sure to follow me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash gamebody so that you can see me streaming the Shmup Club Game of the Month. We'd also like to give a shout out to RFGeneration.com where we have a lovely forum full of people who are always willing to help and have a great database that has all sorts of titles and variants and regions. You know, you just get sick of buying Super Mario Brothers Duck Hunt for the Dendi. Again, and you got, I knew I had this. So... <laughs> <laughs> so this will help you avoid that collector conundrum do I have it indeed and you know, the one other thing that's great about rfgeneration.com is the playcast group that will help you avoid that gaming constipation known as backlog as they go through one game a month and really have a lot of fun playing through it similar to the shmup club that we have here that's right all right. So before we dive into our discussion about our game of the month, which is Gunbird, let's cover our question of the month um, that I threw out on Twitter, which is, 
Do you connect more with characters, such as in Gunbird, rather than ships, planes, or vehicles as you play a game? Why or why not? And we got a really good response from this question. So, first up, we've got at Need New Shorts, who says, Yeah, I do. Characters make it great. I especially like animal ones or weird ones. Toon shooters recently, and Hacha Mecha Fighter and Parodius, for example. Great weird characters to choose from. Oh, and I forgot why. Just visual appeal, I guess. But I want the character I'm playing to look playing as to look cool. Unless certain ships have better shots or shields or something. Yeah, I definitely like the Parodia style or humor style characters on there. That that cartoony aspect makes things pretty interesting. I was just watching uh, Studio Mudprints stream uh, Hacha Mecha Fighter recently, and you know, nothing like that. It is a flying weasel. I think it's an otter, maybe. It's an otter. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we have platypuses, fingers. You know, it, it holds true. Almost anything can be a protagonist in STG. All right, our next one comes to us from at Hyper Five Game. Personally, I'm a fan of Space Shepherd, possibly flying humanoid with jetpack. Oh, if you're a fan of that, Gunbird's got it. Your character for you. Can't really say why, except except that's what I tend to play in my youth. Yeah, I think there's something pretty cool about like the Rocketeer or having you know, character in that way that always seems to be the the, the fast type character. Something harkens back to that spirit of adventure. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I I tend to think that yeah, we gravitate toward those kinds of things that we were into as kids um you know there's a nostalgia factor for sure uh next up we've got at pony tatsujin who says Whew, this is a tough question if ace combat doesn't count and i replied to pony tatsujin and said no it does not <laughs> so uh pony tatsujin came back with well crap in that case yeah i def i identify more with ships why, you ask? Well, it gives you that sort of ace pilot feel. Yeah, there's something to be said for ships as well, where you have those legendary ships. I mean, after Top Gun, who didn't go out and start looking up MiGs or uh, the F-14 Tomcat oh, or maybe the F-18 Hornet? There is a lot of ships to love. I, I think that Studio Mudprints has a love affair that's married there with UN squadron and military aircraft. For sure. Alright, our next one comes to us from at CollectorCast. It's all about the crafts. Ships like the Vic Viper are iconic. Oh, and they also sent us a gift for the Vic Viper for effect. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I mean, the Vic Viper and Lord British, and, you know, I, I don't remember what the green one is called, but they're, they're definitely iconic ships in the same way that you get with the military aircraft and, let's say, Top Gun. They're instantly recognizable based upon their, their shapes or distinctive features that they have. If you had to name an iconic ship, would the Vic Viper be the first one that comes to your mind? Probably, Yeah. You're not going to have both with Otomedius? Oh. 
<laughs> no. It's a trap. Uh, Stephen Eider responded to Collector Cast and said, then again, and included a picture of the dolphin from Arrow's, Arrow Fighters 2. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Arrow Fighters always got those wacky characters on there. We'll have to cover that hopefully sometime soon. Oh, yeah. All right, our next one comes to us from at Maz67086804. Craft for me. I really like to pilot a plane, spaceship, helicopter. I find weirdly difficult to connect with humanoids in STG. I do not really know why. Probably only a matter of getting used to it. This is just me putting words in here, but I, I think that part of the reason that people may tend towards craft is they sort of can see themselves piloting it. With a character, you sort of have that role filled in. You, know, you, you can't do that, that fantasy fulfillment of you you in the pilot seat. You know, do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? It's kind of a situation where you either identify with the character that's on screen, or in the case of a, a vehicle or craft of some kind, you can sort of put yourself in that situation and it sort of becomes that, that power fantasy where it doesn't matter who you are or, you know, what you look like because you're, you're a tiny little pilot inside the, the cockpit or of this, you know, spaceship or plane or whatever. And you're the one making all this happen and you're just kind of seeing it from a distance. So, I, I guess it depends on I don't know it's an interesting it's an interesting question which is kind of why I threw it out there understandable uh, at Sega collection responded to Maz and said same so I guess they feel the same our next one comes for us at nerd tantrum love the name tough question to be honest I love both characters and ship designs but I guess I connect more with characters and ships also, Darius's bosses are one kind of character ship that works really well for me, and that's a great example. Uh, something that sort of walks and straddles the line between both. You, know, you have these really iconic ships, but are you know, or something something that's not quite a ship, but it's not quite a character on there. Where you, uh, Space Mambo will be another one that does sort of the, this similar lines on there. Really good to answer. Yep. At DWRKOA says, I lean more towards craft slash machinery, but I'm generally fine with all, as long as they got badass looking wings. Can we say that in this podcast? I just did. (laughs) You rebel. I won't make a habit of it, but... uh, Alright, our next one comes to us from at L Machine Games, also known as Lost Machine Games. What? This one just says, what a game. Yeah, this is an interesting one because instead of a, a response, it's a funny sort of meme picture that they included that has a soda machine with someone that has a cup sitting underneath of two of these different uh, spouts 
and they're holding both buttons down. And one of the dispensers has, well, both of the dispensers have pictures or like a picture from, I don't remember if it's Battlemania one or two. I think it's Battlemania two. Um, and one of them is labeled char like character and the others labeled ship. And they're doing that suicide thing that we often did as kids where you mix multiple kinds of soda together. Uh, and so they're, they're putting both kinds of soda in the cup at the same time. So I don't know if this is lost machine games way of saying it's all good or if the nod to Battlemania is that it's like sort of having both at the same time, kind of have your cake and eat it too kind of situation. Yeah, but, I was thinking of that taco commercial. Why not have both? You're right. So I thought this was a very clever little meme and uh, decided to throw it in here because uh, why not? Uh, so at Stellar Fury says, ships all the way. Our next one comes to us from at Midi Rights. It depends on the game. I could imagine Gynog with the ship. Yeah, well, especially with uh, the Western release of the game being called Wings of War. Um, yeah, that would... I mean, I guess technically a plane or, you know, spaceship could have wings, but given the cover art, it doesn't really work uh, <laughs> to um, not have a flying dude as your uh, as your protagonist uh, at the daddy otaku one says i usually like ships but sometimes cool things like this happen and they included a <laughs> a still image of one of the endings from gunbird uh, with tetsu and uh <laughs> and his boyfriend uh the the beefcake picture of at the end of the game <clears throat> won't spoil that too much but yeah I forgot the name of the series now. No one's on. To, he went full. Um, oh, Choaniki? Choaniki. <laughs> right. Yes, Tetsu goes full Choaniki. Alright, our next. Uh, our next comment is from Aunt Zoido. No, I don't care much about the characters. For me, it's about the ships. I love spaceships and badass aircrafts. The Green Silver Hawk is my favorite. The only exception is Pentaru. Flying Penguin in space beats them all. <laughs> Parodias, I definitely like Pentaru on. Yeah, I I don't know that there's anybody who doesn't like Pentaru. Uh, and then at Terciops Studios, who those of you who've been listening to the podcast for a while will remember... Uh, we did an interview with for our very first uh, Shoot the Corecast Gaiden episode about their uh, game that they're developing, The Day We Fought Space. And uh, so Terciops Studios says, ooh, that's a good question. Thinking over what I've played lately, characters are usually easier for me to get drawn into at first, but they only stick with me if they've got a strong presence, either visually, like Death Smiles, or narratively, like No Way Home. But when you talk about my very favorite games, they're ones where the ships themselves have personality with the way they move and attack. Stuff like Jamestown, Graceful Explosion Machine, 
Risk System. Those are the games that I return to over and over again. And then, when you get a game like Gundamonium or Legacy of the Elder Star that kind of sit right in the overlap of that Venn diagram, then yeah, that's kind of my sweet spot. This has got to be the most, uh, the most well thought out and lengthy answer we've ever got. This was three tweets. So thank you for that. Uh, and yeah, I, I kind of get what you're saying because there's, there's a lot to like when you're playing as a ship and you're kind of drawn to sort of how it moves, how it attacks, you know, that a lot of that visual appeal in the game uh, can really help sell it. Um, and I know some some folks, that's why they like character-based games. Um, but, yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from there. All right, our last one comes to us from Aunt John PV. I don't think it makes a difference for me, really. I'm usually more focused on the gameplay. The only exception would be that kind that pushes me away from a game, that's that lolly stuff. That stuff needs to stay out of STGs. Yet there is definitely some um, interesting choices made for some of these. And as we talk about the endings for <laughs> for the uh, two-player endings for Gunbird, uh, there, there's a questionable choice in there that threw me off as well. Yeah. It, it borders, borders upon... Appropriate maybe in Japan, but uh, not so much in uh, other places. Right. So, uh, what about you? Where do you fall in this spectrum? I think that characters in with character stuff, I appreciate because I can get maybe a little bit more of a story in the SDG. And, and that's sometimes what I want, but then other times I want to just blow stuff up, and I want to look cool while doing it. And I, I, I think that it really depends upon my mood. If I really want to look cool doing it, I can play some Darius, or I can play some original Gradius, if there are, or, or even R-Type Final 2 I've been playing a little bit of to get the get that nice ship feeling. But at the same time, that build a character stuff where you, it's like, give a thumbs up, give a salute, blow a raspberry. You know, it, it's pretty much, they could have replaced those with um, with emojis, right? Everyone skips the beginning of R-Type Final 2. I mean, it's all about to customize your character, but it, it could replace them with emojis and it would have cared. To me, that's all about the ship. And within character-based games... I, I sort of lean towards those, maybe towards more with cute ups I, I think that a good character-based game would be good for cute. Bullet Hell, it can be. I don't... Well, I like the Toho-type games, and I think that they are great at teaching you how to SDG. By the way, I'm copying that before Mark kicks it over for a series. <laughs> I, I just... Uh, I think... Personally, I fall more in line with ships are classic, where if I'm going the way of uh, a queued them up, I would prefer a character. There, I, I could go a little bit either way with that when it comes to Damaku. You know, both, both of them seem to be there, but you see a lot more character-based play with with Damaku. Uh, you know, with Cave and the way that Cave does it, too. I, 
it would just be sort of weird if you're flying through a Ketsui with a with a flying lolly or something. <laughs> but right, it's it's traditional games. I would prefer to do Cutemus with characters and with uh, sh- with with ships for your non Cutemus. And but for Damaku, it can go sort of either way. I, I guess it really depends upon what mood I'm in. You know, if I'm always ready for some tuna sashimi, or if uh, I want to just go around worlds shooting up suns and uh, enemy bases and flying around on a pair of wings. That's a great thing about this genre. Anything can be a, a protagonist and anything can be an enemy. We've got a game on the TurboGrafx or PC Engine where you fly in a toilet. Anything's possible. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, for me, I tend to gravitate more towards ships. Um, I think for a number of reasons. I find that, particularly with stuff where the hitbox is smaller, a lot of times the hitbox on the ship is going to be fairly obvious, like it's going to be the cockpit. Or like an under-defeat, it was the center of the rotor on the helicopter. Those kinds of things. A lot of those things are easier to uh, easier to see. They're visually more distinctive, I guess. And yeah, there are there are games where there's a very clear and easy-to-see hitbox. But for me, I find that sometimes the character surrounding that hitbox can be a distraction because it it tends to be a larger sprite than if it was a a ship or a helicopter or something like that. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to like the game, but it certainly is not my my preference in that sense. Now, for for me in terms of character games, I tend to gravitate toward character games that are more horizontal scrollers. So things like Parodius, where you can see the characters' faces, at least at some level, um, I feel like they have an ability to be more expressive that way. And there are exceptions, um, you know, things like uh, Flight of Pigarus that we talked about. You know, the, the flying pig was just unendingly cute. But in general, there's a lot more that you can do in terms of those characters being expressive and having personality when you get a better look at the character and you can see their face or, you know, see their expressions, that kind of a thing. So in those situations, then I, I like that that kind of character-based deal. Like like uh, Gundamonium that Tersiop Studios mentioned or Gynog, you know, that Midi Riots mentioned. Those are good examples because it, it gives you the ability to, or at least for me, it gives me the ability to connect with those characters a little bit more directly um, versus sort of watching, looking at their back <laughs> the whole time, you know, like with a lot of, of uh, top-down or, or vertical scrolling games. But there are always exceptions to the rule, and I think there are ways that personality can be presented um, such as the game that we are going to be talking about today. 
Oh yeah, I was, we're going to talk about demonize, right? <laughs> Man, I make a good segue and you just slap me down. <laughs> uh, you set me up for it though. All right. <laughs> no, the, yes, the, the game that we're going to be talking about today is Gunbirdle. Yeah. And uh, just briefly, let's go ahead and shout out our participants for the month. So, of course, we had uh, you and I, but we had a really good crew this month, this last month. We had Dougley007, B.Reality, Faux Macho, Geriatric Don Mako, uh, Don Mako, excuse me, Iori Branford um, from uh, the Demonizer dev decided to come back and join us for this playthrough, which was great. We also had Zoido, of course, Cork, and Chris Tap 76 So that was a full... 10 of us playing this game for the for the Shmup Club. So that was very cool to see and a lot of good discussion on the forum um, about the game and, and some good uh, good thoughts during the course of the month. Yeah, you know, Psycho Games tend to bring all the boys to the yard. <laughs> Oh my! Uh. Oh, wow! Sorry, I've broken the family-friendly fourth wall here. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I'd like to start with a brief introduction to Psycho. They have developed thirty-three games over the twelve-year existence over half of them being STGs. The other half were mostly Mahan games and a couple other game genres as well. The only Psycho shooting game to never see a console release is the original Zero Gunner. Was that ported to the Switch via Arcade Archives, finally? No, Zero Gunner 2 came, although Two. Okay. it was... Technically, it was called Zero Gunner 2 Minus because they basically rebuilt the game from the ground up. Um, because supposedly the original source code for Zero Gunner 2 has been lost. Yeah, that's pretty sad to hear about. Big time. The final shooters or SDGs released for Psycho Branding were not developed by Psycho themselves, including Sengoku Cannon for PSP, the third game in that series and a couple of Strikers 1945 spin-off games. In 2002, Psycho was acquired by Xnauts, and in 2007, former Psycho programmer Keiyuki Haragami started ZeroDiv to handle distribution of Psycho's catalog. ZeroDiv was acquired in 2019 by City Connection, who also owns Jalico's catalog of IPs. You thought I was going to mark that J Japanese name, didn't you? You did great, man. Uh, hats off. Yeah. <laughs> Gunbird was also released to Japanese arcades in 1994 on Psycho's first generation of arcade p hardware. This included a Zilog or Zedlog Z or Z80A processor and one of two Yamaha sound chips. It also included a number of proprietary custom chips. A tweaked version of the game was produced for worldwide distribution, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, but when you tested out the worldwide version, you found it a lot harder. So they made many tweaks yeah. to make it harder. 
In Japan, Game Machine listed Gunbird on their November 15, 1994 issue as being the ninth most successful table arcade unit of that year. Gunbird saw release on both the Sony PlayStation and Sega Saturn in December 1995, with the European PS1 release following 2002 and a North American PS1 release in March 2003, with the game having been rebranded as Mobile Light Force and uh, almost all story elements removed. I guess that uh, not safe for America. Also, in 2002, there was a version of Gunbird on Yahoo Mobile. I didn't have a chance to try that. Have you? Did you? No, and I actually didn't really find much information on it either. Uh, well, if it's like in the earlier versions, maybe it ran on uh, Java. You can find a way to emulate that way. That could be, yeah. Gunbird Special Edition was released for the PlayStation 2 in Japan in 2004 and Europe 2005, compiling the, both arcade releases of both Gunbird 1 and 2. This release added a practice mode, and I believe that in the PAL version there was a 60 hertz option for this. Yeah, I think so, but I wasn't able to confirm that. Gunbird was added to the PS to PSN in 2009 in North America, although it was the Mobile Light Force version. Ooh. Sorry, folks. Yes, You can insert that later. After ZeroDiv took over Psycho's IPs, they began to port them over to the Nintendo Switch, and Gunbird released December 2017 on the eShop. Physical compilations were released for Psycho's shooting games starting in 2018, and into 2020, the North American release of Psycho's Shooting Stars through NIS America. iOS and Android versions labeled as Gunbird Classic released in 2016 by South Korean publisher Moberks. So I have to ask, what versions did you try this month? I spent most of my time with the Steam version, uh, which is, I think, based on the Japanese ROM. And it's got uh, some sort of cleaned up visuals and a couple of different things. It's essentially a port of the Switch version that uh, supposedly has some of the input lag reduced. And then I also put a little bit of time into the Saturn version. Uh, I fired up Mobile Light Force just to refresh my memory on that. And then uh, I also put a decent amount of time into the mobile version on Android just for grins. Uh, and then uh, did a few runs in Fightcade with a couple of RF Gen members. Yes, I remember that. It definitely seemed like it was a harder time dealing with the Fightcade worldwide release and dealing with the uh, one-on-one of the Steam version. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I played mostly on the Steam version as well, but I switched over to the Saturn version near the end of the month, and I have to say, I sort of like, just spoilers here, but I sort of like the Saturn version the best out of everything I played. I didn't try Mobile Light Force. I'm not crazy enough to, uh, that's punishment. What, are you saying you don't want to play Charlie's Angels, the shmup? No, 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 no. I played Charlie's Angels, the game, and that's punishment enough. (laughs) Right. Well, let's get into gameplay here. Uh, So, Gunbird is a two- or three-button game, and I 
I didn't find any documentation, and maybe I'm just looking in the wrong place, so I'm not sure if it's always a three button or if there's like conversions for different um, arcade setups, but basically button A is your primary fire, it's not auto, and so then when you press the button it sends out a volley of fire, and then if you hold the button down it charges your special attack. Button B is your bomber, and button C is your auto-fire, assuming that you have a button C on uh, the cabinet that you're playing on. Uh, the game plays out over seven stages. The first three of those are randomized, and then stages four through seven are always in the same order. Now, when you clear the final boss fight, the game loops, and so, like most of the Psycho titles, it, the second loop is always at a higher difficulty with more bullets and um, basically Psycho hating you more than they already do. Uh, and li also like a lot of the other Psycho games, you can, you can come into contact with enemies and not die. Uh, so when we covered Strikers 1945-2, we saw this where if your plane ran into another plane, it would do a thing where it would power down. Well, it's similar here where instead of a power down showing up on the screen, your character sort of shakes for a second and then the power up icon starts to float away. If you're fast enough, you can grab it and uh, not, not have to power down completely, uh, but it does go pretty quickly and... When you when you touch the you know the enemy or what have you that makes you power down, you are sort of frozen in place for about a second and a half or so. Um, so it definitely makes it harder to get that power up back. Um, there are five characters to choose from when you start the game. Uh, the first character on the screen is Ash, who is a 28 year old German inventor who flies with a jetpack. His main attack is focused forward and gets a little bit wider as he powers up, uh, adding these energy ring deals. His charge attack is a large energy blast, and his bomber creates a large area of effect for a couple seconds. The, uh, I guess the de facto main character of the game is Marion, who is a 13-year-old witch who flies around on a broom. Her main attack is... Uh, starts out as a forward shot only, and then as you power her up, it'll widen. And then um, also adds these homing star deals at level 3. And her charge attack is an energy ball that contains her pet rabbit, Pom Pom. And it sort of shoots out and then, you know, goes through and, and hits an enemy. Uh, her bomber is a series of spinning blades that sort of radiate out from her position on screen uh, in all directions. And uh, based on what you see in the game and what I've read uh, elsewhere online, she has a mean streak and is kind of selfish. Uh, Valnus is a Russian-created robot who wishes to be human. Uh, his firepower is all forward, though at level 3 and 4 he does get these lasers that sort of curve outward and up to give you a little bit more coverage. His charge attack is sort of like a super punch, where these uh, the metal fists go out uh, on wires and sort of go out right in front of him and punch whatever is uh, directly in front, 
you know, a certain distance from from his body. And then uh, uh, his bomber is like this series of lasers that shoot out in four directions. And I think it's something like six or seven lasers in each direction. And he can move a little bit while firing that, uh, but really, really slowly. And then uh, Yon Nung is, uh, from what I read, uh, based on Sun Wukong from Journey to the West, and is a strong female character who flies on a cloud and wants to be the strongest person in the world. Her primary shot fires forward, and then at level three, she gets these swords that sort of shoot out from the side and then go forward to sort of give you a little bit wider attack. Um... Now, her charge shot uh, can deflect bullets, and um, basically she carries the staff with her. And so when, her, when you charge it up, she will, she will lunge her staff forward, and so whatever's in the path of that staff uh, will take damage. And so it can actually deflect bullets. Uh, as far as I know, hers is the only charge attack that can do that um, and also if you're close enough to your target it will do damage going forward and it will do damage as the staff retracts and uh, this is character here is the second or is it the third time it's been in, no it's the second time it's been in a SCG because you have cloud master for the Sega master system right which was also based upon Yes. The character of uh, Sun Wukong, or then um, there was Gunbird, and then there what's the what we one with Legend of the Monkey King, or what? What's oh the, yes, um, Legend of the Monkey King. Yep. So the, the three times that this character's been. I mean, Journey to the West, the, the character of Sun Wukong are has been used several several times. Anyone who's from Dragon Ball Z will know of Kakarot or Goku on being based upon Sun Wukong as well. I mean, I, but those are the three that I can think of. Can you think of any more? Not off the top of my head. At uh, Yuan Nang's bomber, uh, she releases this series of cloud minion things that sort of shoot out from behind her and then spread out kind of horizontally across the screen, and they will damage anything in their path, and and so they'll sort of fly forward, and once they reach a target, if it takes damage, they'll slow down somewhat, but then that's just damaging that, that enemy or target as it's flying up toward the top of the screen. Uh, and then finally, you've got Tetsu, who is a 60-year-old man who flies a pedal-powered helicopter. Uh, he fires forward, and it widens somewhat as you power up, and then starting at level 3... It adds uh, powerful missiles, and then his charge shot uh, shoots out a, a barrage of an extra barrage of missiles. And then his bomber is this interesting thing where it sort of he throws out these explosive barrels, kind of to the side and then in front of him. So it creates these three sort of explosions with flames that sort of come up. It's not a it's not a panic bomb, so you can't use it if you're about to get hit by a bullet, because it takes a just a second to deploy or half second, but it is powerful. 
Yeah, I was going to say that they had ripped off Namco for the prop cycle, but <laughs> prop cycle the game didn't come out until 1996, so uh, maybe they ripped off Gumbert. Oh, interesting. Yeah, for anyone who is unfamiliar with Prop Cycle, it is a Namco arcade machine where you basically like an exercise bike and you pedal and pedal, pedal, trying to collect balloons and various stuff on a, you know, a flying bicycle, as it were, and you can get a 50-minute workout in 10 minutes. Interesting. And it's worth checking out if you ever find one in an arcade. Okay. And so let's switch over to uh, power-ups. There are three pickups available in the game. Um, you've got the P power-up icons that drop from specific enemies, and those, of course, can be used to power up your character's main shot, which you can do up to four times. Now, each capsule has a specific amount of ammo in it, so as you're shooting your weapon, you're depleting that ammo, and then eventually you'll deplete it all the way, and your character will power down to the previous uh, or the lower, the next level down. And so that was one of the things that I figured out or learned as we were kind of playing through the month is I always thought it was a timing thing with the earlier Psycho games that had this power down feature or what have you, this power down cycle. It's sort of a holdover from the first Arrow Fighters or, or uh, Sonic Wings title. And so, like I said, I always thought it was a timer where you get so much time at each power level, and then once you reach that threshold, then it powers down. But no, it's actually the number of shots. So it is to your advantage to not just hold down the auto-fire button and to be a little bit more selective about when you're firing, because then you're not expending that ammo, and you can when you get to new enemies and things that will give you a another P icon, hopefully then you can stay at that highest power level throughout a good portion of the game. The bomber is just a large ammunition shell with a B on it. And of course, each bomber you pick up will add one to your stock. And then you can also pick up coins that will show up on the ground after you destroy certain enemies. Uh, these are always worth 200 points, so there's nothing, really nothing more to those. So the basic story of Gunbird is that each character is attempting to collect four pieces of a magic mirror or four MacGuffins to assemble them so that way they can make a wish. Also on the lookout for this magic mirror is the Trump Gain, a gain of sp Sky Pirates, the white-haired Lady Rouge, Oh, it's Rogue. The white-haired lady Rogue is their leader, and her minions are Ace and Claude. They serve as most of the boss fights in the game, using different vehicles and machinery to try and thwart your progress and take the mirror for themselves. It's... You know, I mean, it's no text maxim, but it pushes the story along. No, but maybe they can, uh, maybe they can upgrade for just... Instead of looking for just the MacGuffins, maybe they can go after some sausage egg MacGuffins. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I thought we... Wow. Oh, boy. All I'm, right. I'm we sorry, broke I couldn't the fourth help wall earlier. They broke the family, for, the family friendly fourth wall earlier, and we have entered into dad joke territory. 
Always. That's what's on the other side. No, I mean, the, the story does enough to act serviceably, serviceable and rein the plots along and explain why some of the characters are now. It doesn't explain some of the endings, which are quite interesting in themselves, but it, it gives a, enough for a character to do stuff other than, you know, a sp- spaceship come down, shoot, explode. You know, it's ju- just enough to get the game going. It, it's not going to be... Uh, Shakespeare. True. You can't expect Shakespeare from uh, shooting games. Unless it's Einhander. That story is Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, a case could be made. Alright, and speaking of story and endings, if you play the game co-op with or two-player, the character stories intertwine. This can lead to some humorous interactions as well as one story that is not family-appropriate. And that is one with Ash and Marion, which crosses over into that very lolly territory that Shin John mentioned. And uh, I don't think I will describe it here, but suffice it to say, it um, interesting choices made on that one, and most most of them are quite humorous and lead to comical outcomes. Yep. The other interesting thing I found out, especially for trying out the uh, Fightcade version, is. T- Having two people increases the difficulty, especially uh, on the Fight Cave version or the worldwide release by quite a bit. Yeah, that uh, that was a bit of a rude awakening. Uh, I felt like I was making progress with the game uh, over the course of the month, and then I played Fight Cave and was very roundly put back in my place. You were slapped and told to sit down, yep. That's all right, though. I, mean, I I got used to being slapped and told to sit down after I start playing Gratis 3 Arcade. I'm used to it. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Unlike many arcade games, Gumbird doesn't reset your score upon continuing, but it will increment the lowest two digits by one for each credit used to show how many additional credits beyond the first that were part of the score. As with all Psycho games, there are five difficulty levels. They start at Monkey, as being the easiest. Second is Child. Third is Very Easy. Four is Easy. Five is Normal, or Default. Six is Hard, and seven is Very Hard. I did try a little bit with the Monkey and Child, but I went straight for Normal. Because I want to get an idea of what the designers thought was the intended target. There and... Well, it was, uh, for Psycho requirements, it was pretty difficult. What uh, settings did you play on? Yeah, I started the month on normal. Um, kind of, you know, got a feel for the game. Then I went down and at some point did Monkey and Child, and I got those clears pretty quickly. Spent a decent amount of time with Very Easy and didn't quite get my clear, but then I finished the month out kind of mostly focusing back on on normal or using the score attack mode, which is basically normal but no continues. And uh, so I would say it was about half normal, almost half normal, and then the other half in varying other difficulties. Yeah, did you happen to try very hard? I did not. I am not into that much punishment. Okay. 
I, I wasn't feeling up to it either, so I just thought if you had some thoughts. Alright, uh, early console ports, which is a Saturn and the PS1, had a wobble mode to allow up, you to play on standard and CRT. That wasn't rotated and the play field would scroll up and down as you move to allow you to see all of the action. They also had tape modes available, though this excludes mobile light force. I played with this mode for a little bit with a Saturn port, and it sort of felt like cheating because I, I look, I'm moving backwards, now I can just move backwards and then, then can know exactly where this enemy is placed and make things a little bit easier. I, I, I mean, I, you get the same thing after playing these stages over and over again. You just know where stuff's going to appear, especially the first four stages. But uh, wobble mode was interesting, but it felt like cheating to me after playing the Steam version where you had the whole screen in Tate for so long. Yeah, and I don't know so much about cheating as it just feels like, I don't know, it feels like you're, because you can't see everything, it makes it, for me, it makes it harder to play. Um, un unless I reach a point where I kind of have those stages memorized, which I was able to do by playing a full view like I was doing on the Steam port. When I played the Saturn port, I messed with Wobble for just briefly. And, you know, that's kind of how I played Strikers 1945 2 originally was Wobble mode, because that was the very first Saturn import I bought. I've mentioned that on the podcast several times. But with this, because I have the ability to do a Tate uh, configuration, I did that with the Saturn port. And I kind of feel like that's probably the way that I should have been playing most of the month because it actually felt a little bit better than the Steam version and I felt like I did a little bit better than when I was playing on the Steam version. Yeah, I ran into that too where the Steam version didn't just didn't feel like quite right. It felt like it was mostly there but there was something missing. Couldn't quite put my finger on it. One thing I can put my finger on and say was greatly done is the graphics. It has a very colorful magna, or, excuse me, manga, anime art style. It was very cartoonish stuff, but it, especially the, like the, with the jungle stage, there were everything was flesh out your head and easy to see. I, I didn't come into a point where any of the bullets. I, I guess I didn't include Battle Garega Syndrome. Where, where did the bullets go? They're instantly camouflaged. They're the quality character portraits had a lot of personality and, you know, quirk, the quirky and flawed characters that you see with it. And there, it, it almost, you know, it starts like Looney Tunes, Japanese Looney Tunes type characters. The boss designs were definitely interesting, and each one was unique. It was felt very uh, steampunk in some ways, and other ways was uh, very Incan inspired. There was definitely a lot of variety. And the, the final boss you've written down here, which made it look like Gizmo. I, I thought it was it looked sort of like a cross between a tiger and a jaguar or, or something. Something there was very um, anamorphic. Anim there, right? I mean, it was, 
and some of the endings play into that. One of the ones where Ash says, "I wanted to be handsome," or and had the most. Well, I wanted to have the, be the wisest, and the genie sort of anamorphic character at the end changes him to look exact, almost exactly like him. Or one another one of Ash's endings is he says, "The German inventor," it says. I want a beautiful lady to match my my rugged good looks, and it turns into <laughs> the genie turns into so this this furry looking woman. <laughs> so it says, "Here I am." So uh, that you know that, that comical art style that that seems to work pretty pretty well. It was really easy to see where where the bullets were coming from. I didn't suffer from Grega syndrome. And the characters gave it personality. So I, I thought overall it worked pretty well. Yeah. And one thing I forgot to mention uh, or forgot to put in the notes was the uh, the character designer of the Gunbird series is Masato Natsumoto. And uh, there's a scan on shmopulations.com of, of the Gunbird manga that has some pretty cool artwork and... Uh, some really nice illustrations of the uh, the different characters, and uh, anyway, it's 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 pretty good art. Um, there's a couple of questionable choices. Uh, the uh, the character Yuan Nang um, is uh, I'll say scantily clad, not too bad. But then uh, <laughs> then you have Rogue, the leader of the Sky Pirates, and there's there's cleavage and then I don't even know what you call her outfit. It's uh it's just really wacky. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that saying that the only way that this game could get wackier is if we just start putting googly eyes on everything. Yeah. Alright, so we talked quite a bit about the graphics. You wanna talk a little bit about the sound? Yeah, um, this is a case where I think the sound is definitely a <clears throat> definitely has more personality in a game like this than Strikers 1945-2 that we covered before. When we talked about that game, I mentioned that the music itself was fine, but it didn't really connect with me. Some of it might have been because of the type of music that they were going for, and then the the audio hardware that they were using in conjunction with that just didn't really translate that very well to me um, so that it, it matched the game. But here, uh, Masaki Izutani really took the strengths of the first-generation Psycho hardware and was able to make something that had fun music that sort of went back and forth between, uh, you know, light, bouncy, kind of melodic pieces, and then uh, the, the two different boss themes that were a little bit darker in tone, but still kind of, you know, high energy and interesting to listen to and kind of catchy. And I think... At least one of those themes he revisits and kind of redoes for the second Gunbird game. 
But yeah, I, I, this game definitely, the audio design in this game has more personality. Um, one of the things that I really liked with uh, the sound effects, and I really think the sound effects, generally speaking, are pretty solid, but the thing that I really like is that there's a sound cue that you get when your charge attack is ready. So when you're flying around the screen and you're dodging bullets and you're trying to take in enemies, it's nice to have that that audio cue to let you know that your charge attack is ready so that you don't have to watch the character to see uh, either the little flash that they make or to see their animation change. Uh, that was one of the things that you know, we've already talked graphics, but I'll touch on real, real shortly, is that when their charge attack is ready, they all sort of change their position or, or animate in some way. I really like Yuan Nang's where, you know, she's holding her staff, and then when her charge attack is ready, she's twirling her staff, which is a really nice touch. But that helped me out a lot when I could just listen for those cues, those audio cues, as to when the charge attack was ready, so I didn't have to watch the screen to see um, that it was ready, and I could just, you know, fire one after the other. Particularly when I was using Yuan, um, because her charge attack charges so fast. Uh, and so that was a really nice touch. There's also some good voice work, which... I don't know how much of the voice work was used in the original arcade release, when I played it on Saturn, I didn't hear nearly as much of the voiceover. So I don't know if some of that was cut out for the Saturn version. Uh, but at least on the Steam version, there's a lot of voiceover. But even the stuff that you get in-game, like uh, the things that the characters say when they're unleashing their their bomber, or their charge attacks, or picking up items and things like that, it's, it's interesting. Valnus has this hilarious laugh. When he's fully powered up and then you pick up extra power-up icons, he does this, like, <laughs> sort of thing, which is just ridiculous. And uh, I don't know what it is. I'm sure it's something specific in Japanese. But when Marion fires her her charge attack, it almost sounds like she's yelling, Sexy boy! <laughs> so I always got a kick out of that. I'm gonna have to clip those uh, sound bites from you and use those. <laughs> use them as notifications for your phone. No, I do not want sexy boy played on there. I'll save that for Cho and Niki. There you go. No, I, I thought it was, things were well done here. One of the things that uh, I'm beginning to understand more and more is how much you can tell about a STG and how well the sound is mixed by the explosions. Oh, sure. I, I, I would have to say that Gun, Gumber, nothing sounded out of place on there. It wasn't, you know, no, uh, no singing mosquitoes in this soundtrack. And... Uh, the explosion sound correctly. Nothing blew out my speakers or maybe wanting to rip off my headphones. I thought everything was appropriate for the game. I do find it a little bit difficult to think of maybe listening to this outside of the game. So it wasn't something that really sticks in my head, but it certainly was appropriate for the game. Yeah, I would agree. 
All right, we're going to move on to the hardest part of the show right now with scoring. So, everybody get ready to take notes here. If you collect a coin, you get 200 points. You collect a power-up icon when fully powered up, you get 2,000 points. And you have to take out enemies as quickly as possible to spawn additional waves in some areas to get extra points. There you go. Those are, those are all the super tips for scoring. Whew, that's a lot. I don't know if I can keep up. I know. You know, press press buttons to engage scoring for maximum profit. <laughs> no, and you know, as you can tell, we're joking here, but. It, the scoring system is pretty simple for this, and this is pretty par for the course for Damaku, or sorry, for a uh, STG uh, of this vintage. It's not something that you're going to be overly. Uh, Batsugam was released the same year and started out what would become the Damaku genre. So you're not going to get a lot of anything with crazy routing or any of that stuff that's in here. It, it's your t- traditional STG and the scoring system is married to it. But it, it's not a bad thing. It, it's in, in some ways a little bit of a breath of fresh air after playing all the cave I've been playing. But it, 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 to go expecting, you know, this is the way you need to route it. This is what you need to do. It's just not going to be there. Yeah, and I want to say, if I remember correctly, the bosses do time out after not too long. Um, so there's not really a whole lot you can do in terms of boss milking either. Some of the bosses have um, different parts that you can sort of destroy in sequence. So there's a little bit of that that you can do. But realistically, there's there's not a lot of flexibility there. So what's your take on this game? My take on this game is it is something that I could go back to and play in short spurts and just have fun with it and not have to take too seriously. I, I think it's one of those, it's not going to be one of those endeavors where I'm, okay, I'm getting re- ready for Gradius 3. Let me drink some water. Let me put on what, one of those um, stress relievers. <laughs> Let, let's go and put on this. It, it is a um, light snack. In other words, it's, it's something that, that can be enjoy, picked up and played at almost any given time, and something that play you can play for or in short spurts. It doesn't take that long to get through, and no matter how much time you spend in it, you get a lot of enjoyment out of it. it it's I certainly found it more enjoyable than Strikers and Strikers 2. I'm definitely looking forward to playing Gumber 2, but it's just one of these quick pick-up-and-play games. Uh, Mobile Light Force support uh, barring here, but uh, something that would be easy enough to recommend for someone to try and get into. I I think that's part of the reason why we had so many people join in is because it was so quick up pick up and play and you didn't need to deal with a lot of rules or pathing or anything that would be forcing somebody to deep dive into the game. Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I've had this long-standing love-hate relationship with Psycho games. And 
part of it, I think, stems from, as I said, because I bought Strikers 1945-2 first, and because I did not have the ability to rotate my TV, I had to play wobble mode, which was not the ideal way to play it. Now that I actually have the ability to play it in a more proper Tate fashion, I've started to explore this library a little bit more. After I bought that first Psycho collection, I started putting some time into the first Strikers 1945 game. And of course, we played Strikers 1945 too, and I, I did some of that. But this is the first one that I think I actually could have a fighting chance of possibly, maybe, eventually, one day <laughs> uh, securing a first loop clear. Uh, I don't know yet which character I would achieve that with. I'd like to say that I could do it with Yuan, but I didn't have as much luck with her during the month as I thought I would. Uh, although I will admit I was as I was using her character, I was playing super aggressively. So it may be just a, a matter of learning to do that while also better routing the game and having a little bit more precision in my movements and placement on screen. But I feel like since my early experiences were with Strikers 1945-2 and with Gunbird 2 on the Dreamcast, with those having not unlimited charge attacks where you sort of have to power those up by taking out other enemies, you really have to use those sparingly so that you can uh, sort of time them when they're most appropriate. Whereas here, the, the usage of those special attacks is going to be a little bit more determined on when there are lulls in the action long enough for you to charge your attack. And that's, of course, going to depend on the characters because they all, they all charge up at different rates. Um, and also the effectiveness of those attacks. So, in my case, because Yuan's charge attack charges so quickly, I feel like you can abuse that quite a bit for clearing bullets, for doing damage, and, you know, there's a lot of usefulness in that. Uh, on the flip side, a character like Tetsu, whose charge attack takes a long time to charge, it's very situational, I feel, when it's going to be real useful. Uh, or like Valnus, for example. Valnus's charge attack is the most powerful in the game, but it takes an inordinately long amount of time to charge. So that, I think, becomes the most situational, where in the moments between when you're going through the cutscene for a boss or what have you, and then going into that boss fight, that's a good opportunity to do that so that you can charge that up and instantly take out, uh, you know, a portion of a boss or do a bunch of damage. But I don't think his charge attack is one that you're going to be using all that frequently. But I think, I think this is the first time that I've played a, a Psycho game where I really feel like, okay, I might actually have a fighting chance at 
doing something with this game and getting somewhere. I got discouraged during the month. My streams were evidence of that. And certainly there were times when I felt like, okay, I'm playing like total garbage. I can't play this game. I'm terrible. I suck. And, you know, I'm never going anywhere with this. But I think I sort of go through that cycle with every shoot 'em up that we play. Um, because I am my own harshest critic, uh, but also because when I hit an early wall and I get that initial bit of discouragement of, oh man, I'm not going to progress anymore. It's just a matter of trying to work my way to pushing past that. With Psycho games, I feel like when I hit a wall, I hit a wall and I'm not going any further. But I did feel like I made it a little bit further and was able to progress a little bit better in this game than I have in the other Psycho games that I've played in the past. So I feel like I'm not sure if it's just because Gunbird is a little bit more approachable or if it's just me sort of coming alongside Psycho's flow and understanding it better. Maybe it's a combination of the two. But I actually... I actually felt like this game may have potential as, you know, as we continue to play these games and and I continue to sort of hone my skills, this might be one of those that I come back to to try and get a legit, normal first loop clear. I don't really have any interest in a two loop clear because the amount of hours I would have to put in to accomplish that with a Psycho game is probably more than I want to spend and realistically, I have far too many games in my backlog for that. But I do feel like a first loop clear of this game is something that I could reach at some point. And so that gives me a little bit of hope in that that I can maybe get there at some point. And uh, so I, I kind of feel like maybe this is, this is the first Psycho game that I've been able to latch on to a little bit more tightly. The one thing I want to mention is uh, if you struggle with this game like I do, try the mobile ports. The interesting thing about the mobile ports is, of course, you're not restricted in your movements. That's something that we didn't really talk about, but the characters all have different movement speeds. Uh, so Tetsu is the slowest, but when you're playing the mobile port, he's great to play with because his missiles are very strong. And so once you power up to level three or four, his missiles start to wreck everything on screen. But when you're not restricted by his slow speed of movement, and you can just sort of whip your finger back and forth and, you know, sort of do that, uh, that thing that most of us probably did as little kids. The first time we walked up to a twin Cobra machine or, or whatever is you put a quarter in and then you just do the sweep left and right do the sweep left and right and hit the fire button a bunch of times to try and take everything out. Eventually you learn that that's not the best strategy and that you have to learn the levels more and sort of know what you're going in for. But with the mobile port, you can kind of get away with some of that. Uh, you can't do it completely because the game is still difficult, but I found myself able to progress a lot further, a lot faster with the mobile port because I could use any character I wanted and sort of get away with that a little bit more because I had a little bit easier ability to kind of quickly get around bullets or macro around patterns and things that 
I probably wouldn't be able to do if I was playing on a pad or a stick. So the mobile ports are kind of broken, but they're sort of fun because of that. So I think they're worth a look and they don't cost anything. So if you're no. inclined to play them, that that's at least one way to sort of check these games out. Uh, try before you buy. Yeah. It, you use one finger for the mobile port and use a different finger for the regular port. <laughs> Well, that's a little bit more shmupping than my brain can handle. Oh, man. That that, that finger has got its own game, I hear now. Indeed. No, I, I think that this is more of an accessible... I agree. I, I think that Gumbird, the original, is more of an accessible port, no matter what version you play, than some of the other Psycho games. I don't know if that's just because it's one of their first games or if it's just sort of was made to be a little bit more accessible in general it seems to have really good balancing which is why so many people try different characters i know that Marion seems to be a fan favorite and is sort of pushed as the de facto mascot of the game but i i do see a lot of people playing um sun young or the uh, I I played a lot with that character, and I see some people playing as uh, was it Valnus? Oh right. I, I always get that stuck with um, swapped around with with uh, Valus. <laughs> yeah, dear, too many games. Uh, so uh, Valnus, a lot of people using him. I've seen some. There's on that the and then uh, Tetsu. You you seem to favor him for a lot of your early playthroughs. Yeah, so did B dot reality. Yeah, it's really nice that that everybody sort of has their own playstyle that can be done from this, and it's not where you're feeling forced to. It, it, I think it speaks to how well balanced this game is, despite its difficulty. That so many people can get enjoyment and get make progress by choosing and identifying with their favorite character. Alright, now that we've given our opinions, let's go to thoughts from the RF Generation community. Our first thought comes to us from Geriatric Damaku. Gotta say, the lag issues reported on Switch are not present. So I'm going to be playing official score attack on this version and submitting it. Yeah, and I didn't, uh, I didn't fire up the Switch version during the course of the month because... My understanding was that the Steam ports were supposed to have the input lag reduced, uh, so I stuck with that. But, um, you know, obviously everyone's different in terms of their sensitivity to input lag. I'm not that sensitive to it, but um, it's good that, you know, some people are able to play it and, and not really feel like they have to deal with that. Yeah, I wonder if the, uh, I'm trying to think of it was Gunbird or Gunbird 2 that was originally ported to the Switch before the collections came out. Do you remember which one that was? I think that was a version that had the highest input lag, right? Oh, I'm not sure. I, I thought that, that they came outside of the collection. One of them did. And that version had really high input lag. Maybe I, I'm misremembering it. Yeah, well, they all got individual eShop releases, I think, but um, 
Yeah, I, I think I'm that wrong. the eShop releases were terrible, but the the other ports were okay. They were they weren't as bad, but then the Steam version was the best. I, I could be misremembering it, but I think that's how it goes. Sure. Uh, Faux Macho joined us and uh, put in a, a fair amount of commentary in the thread. Uh, Faux Macho says, apparently the PS2 Gunbird release has a hitbox mode. That's really cool to see under the hood. Uh, and they included a screenshot. Uh, but so far, I can only find this one YouTube video showing it off, uh, which is linked in the thread. The back half of the game has some fun bosses, but I really wish there was a practice mode on the Switch port. In that, we can agree. Um, later in the thread, uh, Fomacho says, I started the month on the Saturn version, and I liked the scrolling. It gave me a sense of control, but I know that's all faked, and after playing the Switch version, I don't think I'd like going back to it. I say I know, but that's me assuming the Saturn port cropped the view a bit, so you were just looking at the bottom 80% or top 80% when you're controlling the scrolling. I would love to know if Valnus and everyone have the same hitboxes. Valnus matches my playstyle, but he either has a bigger hitbox, or it's just his low speed that gets me hit more often. If you can get a screenshot of the practice mode with hit display on with some of the characters, I'd find that really interesting. Yeah, the... The hitbox thing has always been a little bit of a, a sticky wicket for me and these games because I never quite know exactly where on the character they're vulnerable. Um, so, yeah, that, that's something I always struggled with. And so having a hitbox indicator or practice you know, mode kind of thing where you could actually see where it is would be super helpful. Uh, and then later again in the thread... Uh, I really enjoyed the game, but I wish the Switch slash City Connection Zero Dev port had more to it. I'm not good enough to detect the lag, so I'll have to trust the science on that one. But a practice mode and online leaderboard would have been nice. So thank you, Fomacho. Those some good uh, good thoughts. Yeah, a practice mode would have definitely been useful on there. I I agree that giving it sort of like the M2 quality of life treatment where you could try different stuff. I mean, at least for the later stages, stages one through four, you sort of just are forced to practice those over and over again no matter what. All right, so our next... Um, sorry, our next thoughts come to us from Cork. So you can control the speed of the scrolling a little bit by moving up and down in original mode. What? I'm not sure how I like it. Maybe I'll play more and see if it's something I can get into. And in this he's referencing wobble effect in original mode. Later in the thread he says, I don't think I like the Saturn original mode scrolling mechanic. Just makes it feel like less of a shmup to me. I'm playing the Switch version and the lag doesn't seem to be too bad, at least for the lower difficulties at my skill level. I think I like more powerful characters like Tetsu and Valnus at this point. They play according to the Cobra Kai model. Strike first, strike hard, and no mercy. <laughs> Later in the thread, I've been comparing the Saturn and Switch versions. I got clear as child on both so far. Valnus on the Switch and Marion on the original mode for Saturn. 
I prefer the regular scrolling on the Switch, but the original mode on the Saturn is growing on me. I didn't do so good in that mode on the slower character like Valnus that I had been using, but as soon as I switched, to, switched over to Marion, I did better. I was able to get out a few times that I felt essentially trapped. I think you might need a faster character to take advantage of the adjustable scrolling speed. I tried out level 3 difficulty and I see the bullets are a significant jump in speed. I'm curious to see if I do better with the regular scrolling or the adjustable scrolling speed. Yeah, I, I think that wobble is something that everybody should try to get a, uh, a chance on there. I, I think that the, the closest I can put now is uh, vertizontal, uh, the ways that people are experimenting with this to try and uh, merge the two. I, I think at the time Wobble was a pretty good compromise. And we saw it in Grega, I know it's in some of the other Strikers, there, and it's definitely there in Gunbird. And you had given your thoughts on that, that I, I would put it, uh, you know, the, the, the three modes of SDGs. You have Tate, Yoko, and Wobble. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Wobble is an interesting curiosity of its time, because, of course, everyone was playing on CRTs at that point, and most of us either didn't have an extra that we could dedicate to Tate mode, or didn't really want to rotate our TVs, and for those that didn't have access to an arcade cabinet or a PVM that you could make kind of do that more easily, a lot of that... Uh, was just sort of, you, you played wobble mode because that's what you had. And so either you have wobble mode, which keeps the game in its original aspect ratio, but you can only see so much of it at the time, or on, on screen at one time, and that way your sprites and your, uh, your graphics translate over a little bit better. Or you make sacrifices, and you either just don't see as much of the play field, and the game potentially gets harder or they shrink it down and then stuff doesn't look right because everything gets shrunk down and sprites and, and graphics are made smaller as a compromise for being in a four by three aspect ratio. So wobble. Yeah. Wobble's an interesting curiosity of its time. And I think it was probably the best that they could do for the hardware that was available and to accommodate for those that wouldn't or couldn't rotate their TVs. But yeah, I think I would agree. It's something that people should probably try just to sort of see what we had to do at the time. But I wouldn't recommend playing in those modes for much more than just a curiosity. Uh, we also had Chris Tap 76 who says, Ash, to me, is the best overall character to play with. I find Marion's special weapon too distracting on screen. Tetsu certainly has the power, but find him too slow. And then Chris uh, offered some great final thoughts here at the end of the month. Great game. Mainly used Ash and Yuan Nang. I found Yuan Nong the best overall character with a good balance of speed, power, and bomb ability. 
My highest overall score was achieved with her. Marion was the worst. I just found her fully powered up shot too distracting when trying to dodge enemy bullets. I found the game's difficulty really ramps up after the fourth level. Tried the PS2 version on a CRT, but actually preferred the Switch version on a 4K TV using the TV's game mode setting. Didn't really notice any lag, if I'm honest, compared to the PS2 version. To sum up, I have many versions of this game. PS2, Saturn, and Switch. The Switch version is a great port, and never noticed any of the reported lag on these zero-div ports. Maybe Gunbird 2 should be on the agenda, if it has not been covered already. It has not, so uh, when we get around to Gunbird 2, uh, you'll have to jump in with us. Yeah, once your rage has subsided from <laughs> this year's Psycho game, we can try this again. Yeah, I think uh, about once every, you know, 12 to 18 months, I can I can deal with another Psycho game and uh, throw one in the mix, and I can rage for a month and then put it away. <laughs> I think it's interesting to see how many people reported that they didn't see the issues on lag on the Switch version. Yeah, I was surprised to hear that as well. And again, obviously some people are more sensitive to lag than others, and some are much less sensitive. So maybe it's just that most of the most of the folks that we had participating alongside us this month were less sensitive to it. And the the other funny takeaway, as you were describing wobble mode, is a product of his time. You make it sound like the, the angry old schmupper who, uh, you know, the equivalent of we had to walk in the snow uphill both ways to get to school and they're equivalent for wobble mode and my day we played with wobble mode and we liked it <laughs> you got yes. snappers in tate mode i was just gonna say the same thing back in my day we played wobble mode and we liked it <laughs> uh yeah it's <laughs> it is definitely an interesting curiosity and uh, I, I'm interested after hearing some of the stuff of the PS2 version I sort of just dismissed it thinking that the Steam port and then maybe trying the, the Saturn version would give me a pretty good list of comparisons but having a hitbox comparison I may have to fire that up now yeah I definitely think that would be worth a look if for nothing else than to have that practice mode available Indeed. So, what are your final thoughts on Gunbird? Um, Gunbird is a is a solid title. Uh, I definitely think there's fun to be had in co-op mode, especially if you just want to go in and you know spend a bunch of virtual quarters and just credit feed your way through the game, kind of like uh, geriatric geriatric Damaku and I or Cork and I did on Fightcade, and, you know, just sort of fight over the power-ups and, and blast away and have some fun, and, um, yeah, you know, try out some of the two-player combos, except for Ash and Marion, don't do that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, check it out. I mean, it's, it's well worth a look, and I think it's got enough personality that, um, that it's worth coming back to, and, uh, I won't spoil anything, but most of the endings are 
are fairly amusing, with a couple of exceptions, and it's almost like many of the endings, because of the idea of the game is to sort of go, you know, chase after the pieces of this magic mirror so that you can get a wish. A lot of the endings are a sort of comical, um, a comical exposition of be careful of what you wish for. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think it is a solid title that's surprisingly well balanced for a psycho game. I always think of them being very difficult in my first foray into this was with a Strikers game as well. I feel like the Strikers series isn't as well balanced as as Gunbird is. If you, I mean, everyone's got their own favorite ship, sure, but you don't have this great variety of play styles that seems to really make a difference on here. I, I just think that there is more to Gunbird and it's easier, more of a pick-up-and-play title. And I, I definitely see myself coming back to this and just playing it for you know, a couple play styles and even if I don't get very far, still having a good time with it. And that's the hallmark of a good shmup. Well said. Alright, so let's get on to our celebrations here celebration of how well everyone did so let's take a look at the high scores oh yes so uh for once zoido was not the the uh high score winner or at least uh, not in the normal mode that was fomacho who got 546,100 points with marion Zoido did take the easy category with 522,500, also with Marion. Very easy was Fomacho again with 773,300 with Marion, and that was a clear. Uh, I came on top in the child difficulty level with uh, 743,200 points, and that was with Tetsu. And then... On Monkey Difficulty, Fomacho also had the top spot with 770,200 points, again, with Marion. Congratulations, Fomacho. Yeah, pretty good showing this month. All right, and speaking of months here, what is next month's game? Or should I say this month's game is recording this in June? Yeah, so uh, we're early June as we record this, and so this month's game is Mercenary Force, uh, which is the North American title. The Japanese title is Tenjin Kaisen, and this is for the Game Boy. Uh, it's a little bit of a change of pace for us, going with something a bit slower, but uh, no less interesting. And then for July we are going to be taking a look at Project Starship X, which is out for the Switch, PS4, and PC. And um, a bit of a... I, won't, I guess you could call it a roguelite kind of shmup, where it's, it's similar to Psycho in that the stages are somewhat randomized. There are different stages that sort of crop up in various orders. Um... 
and they're a little bit different every time. They're not exactly the same, but they're not wildly different. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying out the Studio Mud Prince Shmup of 2020. I'm playing a little bit some more. There's certainly some weird stuff I've seen in that game. Oh yeah, but it looks like it's pretty whimsical. All right. Speaking of Studio Mud Prince, I'd like to thank them for the design of the, or sorry, Studio Mud Prince Bullet Heaven. I'd like to thank them for the design of our logo. I'd like to thank Kogusu for the intro and outro music. Everybody from the RF Generation Playcast and Collector Cast, as well as everyone who joined us for the month of May in playing with Gumbird. And I'd like to thank Metal Fro for streaming and trying his best not to be distracted by dogs. Yeah, well, the distraction's constant, but uh, I, I make it work somehow. The danger is real. Yes, the danger is real. Um, thank you for listening, and have a good time. Thank you.